Let me tell you a story. It was a lovely, calm, sunny autumn Sunday afternoon about nine, ten years ago. Um, Caroline was in London for the weekend, so I was home alone. Um, one of my early challenges into parenthood was about to begin. Um, that afternoon, the boys were very young. I'll keep it all very anonymous. The boys were very young. Um, we got our welly boots on um, and we headed up the Woodburn Forest just above Carrick Fergus. It had been raining all week, so it was kind of a bit soggy and mucky. Um, but boys being boys, me being me, the path wasn't enough. Um, so we went off the path um, into the forest um, and just enjoyed kind of trekking through uh, the trees and um, through the muck and, and all the rest of it. Really, really muddy. Um, we got to a point where we were coming back to the path and there was a little ditch. Um, and I had one of the boys in my shoulders and I jumped across. Um, but one, the other um, boy was on the other side of the ditch and um, was kind of like ready to go, but not ready to go. And I was like, you need to jump, come on, come on, jump over. Um, and then out of nowhere, out of nowhere came this massive dog um, bounding through the forest towards him. And I was like, you need to jump now, like right now, come, jump. Um, and still wouldn't jump. And in that moment, he did the one thing that I really didn't want him to do. He turned and he ran back in towards the forest. He fell face down in the muddy puddle as this massive dog sort of jumped on him. In the one movement, now you'll be impressed with this, I had one boy on my shoulders, and in one clean movement, I jumped the ditch, fly kicked the dog. <laughs> picked up my son from the ditch and jumped back, or out of the puddle and jumped back across. It was like superhero dad moment. Um, the dog ran off with a big boot mark in its face. Sorry if you're a dog lover. And I rescued my son. He was stinking. His coat was covered in muck. His trousers were covered in muck. His hands were covered up inside his nails, all up inside his nostrils. In his ears, in his eyes, it was everywhere. We got him back to the car. And being the good dad that I was, I got the baby wipes out. Cleaned the initial dirt off as he stood shivering in the cold and in shock. I hugged him, told him that I loved him, that he was okay, daddy had him. I probably told him not to say a word to his mum when she got home. <laughs> got him home. Stripped off the dirty clothes, shard him, completely cleaned him up. And my son said to me in that moment, he said, Daddy, can you put on my brand new pajamas? He wanted to be clean. He wanted to be safe. And my son wanted to be safe and clean and freshened up with his daddy. I'll never forget it. Psalm chapter 40, verse 2, David sings these lyrics about God. He says, he lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet upon a firm foundation. Isaiah then later prophesies these words in Isaiah 61, verse 10. He says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation, and he has arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. You see, we serve a God. We serve a God who, who lifts us up. 
and out of the mud and the mire, who rescues us, who sets us on a firm foundation and puts over our shoulders the clean robes of righteousness that can only come from and through Jesus. In the, in the Apostle Paul's writing and instructions, he often uses this metaphor of, of putting off and putting on. And we see that in this passage this morning, this kind of putting off and putting on of being clothed in clothes of righteousness. That there is stuff in our lives that we need to take off and there's stuff that we need to put on. The, the Greek word that Paul uses is this word, um, enduo, and, it, and it, it literally means to put on or to wear clothes. Or perhaps a, an even better translation is to sink into clothing. That we sink into clothing that God gives us. Isn't that a lovely thought? He wants us to sink into it, to put him on, to put Christ on, and to sink into that righteousness. Paul picks up this metaphorical use on numerous occasions and he runs with it in a variety of ways. And what seems clear when Paul uses this terminology of putting off and putting on, what seems really clear is that he's talking about newness in Christ. He's talking about righteousness and purity. He's talking about what only Jesus can do in our lives, that, that the old is gone and the new has come, that we put off the old self and we put on these wonderful, new, fresh garments that are ours in Jesus. We put off the old and we put on the new. Paul wants us, the Lord wants us to sink into our new clothes, our fresh garments. And as we come to the table this morning, I believe God wants us in these moments to sink into his presence, to put on the fresh garments all over again of his righteousness, his forgiveness, his mercy, his love, his grace that are ours through Jesus. I want this to be deeply restful for you this morning. I want you to sink into all that God has for you. As you come here, as we gather from another week of, of chaos, if you've kids, maybe you've been fighting dogs off. Maybe work has been frantic for you. This morning we gather and we sink into, we sink into all that God has for us. We sink into his righteousness, into his presence, into his joy, into his delight, into all that Jesus brings to us. So where are we in the overall scope of this letter? Well, in chapter four, um, Paul has begun um, the He's kind of turned a corner. Remember, we talked a couple of weeks ago how chapters one to three are in the stars. This incredible theology that, that, that Paul paints for us, these grand ideas of who God is, this grand understanding of his, his goodness in the world, that he is Lord of all the cosmos. And yet, here we have Paul taking us from the stars and into the dirt into the everyday dirt and grime of our lives here on earth. And so what Paul is about to do, he's about to teach us what it looks like to live a life worthy of the one who has given his life for us. What it looks like to be worthy of this calling that is ours in Jesus. And so Paul gets really practical with his theology here. 
all of the big themes that he's been teaching about, he grounds it right into the dirt of our everyday lives. He's given us really good practical advice and direction and wisdom that will help us to live this life worthy of our calling in Jesus. What is the most important thing that we can do? Well, the most important thing that we can do is to live according to the new self, the new man or woman, not the old self, not the old man or woman, the, one, the man or woman before we came to saving faith in Jesus. Paul is telling us, in fact, and Paul isn't only telling us the importance of this, but if you look at verse 17, he's insisting on it. He's insisting on this. He wants us to know this. And he wants us to, uh, to apply what he is about to teach us. He wants us to live in the new self, the new person, the new man or woman. And Paul clarifies the importance of it by giving us these really specific instructions um, that, that have already been read this morning, that will lay in read for us. Instructions about what the old life versus this new life looks like or ought to look like. There's this list of instructions here and um, it's a long list of, of old life traits, the way we used to live, the way we lived when we were darkened in our, our understanding, when we were separated from God, ignorant and hardened in our hearts towards him. Back when we had lost all sensitivity to God, when our hearts were hardened because we indulged willfully and things that took us away from him. The old life, the old man or woman, the old self before we came to Jesus. We're supposed to look different, aren't we? We're supposed to look different. We're supposed to look different when we come to Jesus. The scary thing is that whilst Paul is primarily speaking to, to our old condition before we came to faith in Jesus, while Paul is talking about that, the reality is that this also can describe the Christian who has fallen backwards, the Christian who has gone back into the old life for whatever reason, the Christian who has gone back into the old ways of living, the old patterns, because we've been neglecting God for some reason, because we've drifted from him and we've drifted back into this old self. And so this morning, we're checking our hearts. As we come to the table, we're checking our hearts. We're checking what's going on in here. We're checking what's going on in our minds and in our hearts as we come again to be reminded of what Jesus has done for us, what he has won for us, the life that he has given us. Let's take a look at the old self. Verse 19, the old self indulged in sensuality, impurity, and greed. Sensuality, it's that unbridled lust, excess, licentiousness, shameful, sexual, or erotic pursuit. That's kind of what it means. This sensuality that we pursued or perhaps still tend to pursue in moments of temptation impurity, greed, that desire to have more and more, to covet what we don't have, but we so desperately want. Verses 25 to 31, Paul talks about falsehood. He talks about anger that leads to sin. He talks about stealing. And it's really interesting because in this moment, Paul links it with work in the context that it's very possible for us to steal from work. 
either by taking what we shouldn't take or by being idle, by not working whenever we're getting paid to do that work. Paul says we can steal. He talks about unwholesome talk, like rotten words that can, can come out of our mouths. He talks about grieving the Holy Spirit, fending him, causing the Spirit of God great sadness by our actions and our attitudes. He talks about bitterness. It's that bitter root that produces bitter fruit that can get a hold within our hearts, harboring sour feelings, bitter feelings towards other people that result in us acting out towards them in a way that is, that is not Christ-like, that is not good. Bitterness. He talks about rage and anger. Being full of rage, getting angry, acting out, lashing out, brawling. I, I always find that one an interesting. Like, what is brawling? Is that like, like men in a big huddle, like fighting and getting on? Well, it actually does mean to, to shout and to swing, to like flail around in anger, to use words that are slanderous, speech that brings other people down. Every form of malice, Paul says, that, that's just the desire to hurt other people with our words and our actions. Some list, isn't it? It's depressing. It's awful. And hear me out here. I'm not intending to take you on a guilt trip this morning. I'm not by going through all of that. And I, I'm certainly not judging anyone or, or standing here condemning anyone this morning. But maybe, maybe in your heart, as you look at that list of stuff, the old self, maybe as you think through that, there is a sense in your heart of conviction deep within. Maybe something stood out off that page. Perhaps you know that the alignment of your heart is off. Something not right. You're carrying some rage and anger, some bitterness. Maybe you know you've been slandering someone's name. Maybe you know you're grieving the Holy Spirit. Maybe you know that there's a sensuality in your life. A hidden life. And the Holy Spirit is highlighting that again this morning. Perhaps the, the compass point within your life is not pointing in true, uh, towards true north, towards Christ. Maybe your life has got off kilter. You know you're off course, headed for potential shipwreck. Well, maybe this morning the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now. He does that, you know. God speaks to us through his word, by his spirit. Don't grieve him by ignoring him. Do something this morning. Put your heart right. Withdraw to the side, to the back, to your knees in the pew. Come before God. Seek his holy presence again. Prayer ministry team, keep your eyes open. Let's be open to praying with someone, to getting our hearts right this morning if we need to. But there's a deeper problem here. Before we think this is just a list of like, just don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. There's a deeper problem that Paul is highlighting. Look at verses 17 to 19. I think I've got it on the screen. Paul says this, don't live any longer as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. You see, there's a pattern of progression here with what Paul is, is spelling out. 
He's talking about this futility of thinking. It's, it's wrong, pointless, kind of useless thinking when we think badly or wrongly, when we let our minds think in a wrong direction. And this only results in a darkened mind, which only results in us being separated or feeling distant from God, which then results in a hardened heart. Our hearts become hard. You young people listen up very, very carefully because I want you to understand something. And I wish I could have understood this better whenever I was your age. And I think I've mentioned this before from the front of church, but if you imagine as human beings, we have these two kind of circles going on. I think I've got a slide um, for this. If you can imagine, we've got our mind, our thinking. Young people, are you listening? Everyone listening? We've got our mind, the thoughts that come in. Then we have our feelings in our gut, how we feel, the kind of emotions that we carry. We all carry emotions. We all carry gut feelings deep within us. We're all taking things in through our minds. But where those two circles overlap, where our mind and our kind of gut, our emotions, our feelings, where those overlap, we have our heart, not our physical beating heart, but that inner person, the center of who we are. We have our heart. And what happens, young people, what happens is what goes into your mind, what you watch and think, what you absorb in through your mind and the kind of emotions that you feel deep within you, those desires that rise up where those two things overlap, your heart is being affected. Your inner person is being affected, that part within you that God wants. He wants your heart. He wants our hearts. He wants all of us. He wants us right from the innermost being. But when we have this kind of futile, useless thinking, when we absorb stuff that just is not healthy, stuff that's unwholesome for us, when we absorb that, our minds become darkened. We find ourselves being distanced from God because we're walking away from him towards other things and our heart becomes hardened. Our heart becomes hardened towards him. You young people, God wants your heart. He wants your heart. And so it matters what you take in and it matters what emotions you feel and where those feelings come from within you. God wants your heart. He wants all of our hearts. He wants our innermost being. Here's the really crucial thing. That list of things that Paul describes in this passage, the old self, when speaking to the church, when speaking to us, Paul says, this is not who you are. You are not the old person anymore. You're not that person anymore. You're not the old self. When you came to Jesus, you became a new man or woman. You became a new creation. The old self is gone. Paul says in verse 20, that, however, is not the way of life that you learned. You didn't learn to be angry. That's not the way of Jesus. 
The way of Jesus is not unwholesome talk. The way of Jesus is not to slander other people. Paul says, that is not the way of life that you have learned. Hold up here. That is not who you are. Paul is reminding the Ephesians of who they are in Christ, that they are new creations. The old has gone, the new has come. They have been made new. They're to put off the old self. They're to put on the new self. They're being made new in the attitude of their minds. They're to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, we put on the new self And the new self is one that has been purchased for us, achieved for us, won for us by Jesus. We walk in the new self. We walk in the way that has been won for us, the way of love in Jesus' name. Just as Christ loved us, Paul says, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The Lord's Supper reminds us of this, doesn't it? This is the better way of Jesus. This is our new self. So Carmoni Church family, this is who we are. This is who we are. In Christ, you are dressed in a robe of righteousness. He has come for you. He has come for you. When you were faced down in the dirt of sin and shame, he lifted you up. He kicked the devil away, defeating Satan, sin, and death. He has no place here. He has no place in your life or in my life. Jesus has defeated Satan, sin, and death. Praise his name. And he has cleansed you, not only on the surface, but deep within. Deep within your heart. He has made you new. You are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Let me invite the worship team forward. We're going we're gonna to move into sharing in the Lord's Supper. But I, I, want, I want you to let this table this morning remind you of your new self. As you receive bread and, and wine, I want you to thank God that you are created by him that you're loved by him, that he came to redeem you, that you're clothed in righteousness in Christ. And in this moment, as we prepare to share in the Lord's Supper, if there is any old stuff that has crept into your life, I want you to put it off again this morning. Put it off. Bring it before God. Put it off Confess it, repent of it before the Lord. And I want you to sink into your robe of righteousness. I want you to put on the robe of righteousness all over again. Sink into it as your feet rest under the table of the king. I want you to to sink into your robe of righteousness. I want you to feel that. I want you to feel, feel that deep sense of gratitude and love and thankfulness that can only come from God, the one who clothes you in his righteousness. It's beautiful. I want you to sense what that feels like. I want you to sink into your robe of righteousness. And so as the worship team play, some of the elders are gonna distribute the wine. You've already got your bread on the way in. 
and, and it's our elders' joy to serve you today. And when you receive the wine, just hold on to it. Place it in a little holder in the pew um, or hold it in your hand. And then we're going to eat the bread and drink the wine together in a few moments' time. Um, your communion tokens, remember, can be dropped in the plates on the way out. If you're here this morning, and if you're not a Christian, we are so glad that you're here. We're so glad that you're among us. You're incredibly welcome in this place. But we want you to know that Jesus died for you. We want you to know that he came. And he came for you. And so this morning, I, I want this. If you're not a Christian, we love you. God loves you. And as the bread and wine come along, just ask in your heart again where you stand with Jesus. Why not put your trust in him today? Don't let him pass by anymore. He's coming for you. Trust him. Trust him. Put on the robe of righteousness. I'm telling you, it feels good. are going to serve you, then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to share in the Lord's Supper.